Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hashtag Terry Tuesday on The Compliance Guy. I'm Sean Weiss, and as always, I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in and logging on and just hanging out with Terry and I for a little while as we get to talk about all things Terry's interested in. <laughs> and today, I know we're going to be... <laughs> I mean, I'm interested, too. I mean, What you a know. great way to open um, the day. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, Terry told me I was a little salty before we got started here today, and she's right, I am. But, you know, here's the deal. There's a lot going on um, in the world of telehealth. Um, This seems to be a topic that just continues to rage um, because there's so much information flying out of so many different organizations, so many different um, you know, blog posts and information that's being posted on LinkedIn and other uh, feeds that both Terry and I are um, parts of. And, you know, I think the most important thing before you post something is that you got to slow down. You've got to read the authoritative information okay i'm not as concerned with what's coming out of a specialty society or from a management organization or whatever take the information that's coming directly from the centers for medicare and medicaid services the information that's coming from health and human services the information that's coming from the commercial payers why because that's who you're submitting your claims to that's who's paying you to render these services whether it's audio only or video only or a combination of them, when to use specific modifiers, when not to use these modifiers. Because again, you know, as quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, Terry, as consultants continue to push out information where it's partially correct or it's completely incorrect, you're creating more noise. You're creating more chaos and it's not helping anybody well we've always said that you know we're all on the same page but too many voices just makes noise so that's why you know sean and i try to be one voice we try to bring you that from a collaborative effort this is what's happening um we just see too many people jumping the gun on not only regulation but on things that they read in a post without looking first who's it from and not just the person that posted it, but read the article. Where did the article come from? You know, I was reading something That's and right. th- 
look at what's going on politically. You know, you read an article and remember social media from a politics standpoint, it's meant to inflame, which it does. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you go and find the article and you're like, oh, from that's from Bootsy from down under. Yeah. You're like, no, that's not authoritative. Even though the person that posted it think they were doing you a favor. No. And so yeah. we're just here to today to really just talk to you about some things that we found that, and we call it, you know, stop jumping the gun, <laughs> just some policies that we felt that people were not paying attention to from a detail standpoint um, and doing your due diligence before either posting it, following it, or giving someone else the recommendation to do it. So we just wanted to talk about a few things on, on that front. Yep. I absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thanks for uh, stepping in and relieving me of my saltiness. <laughs> All right. So let's 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 take an example, Terry. Let's start by, you know, looking at crossing state lines when it comes to telehealth. And I think there's a couple of states that we want to take specific looks at, right? Because right. they've been really some of the more vocal in in you know what's going on, but they're also two of the states that lead us in healthcare fraud. So let's yeah. look at the state of Florida first, right? So state of Florida, uh, fraud haven, um, misinformation, you know, haven. Let, let's take a look at the state of Florida first and, and, and walk us through what's going on. Because as of July 1st, you know, there were some, and, and I think it's actually dating back um, last year yeah. from a release from 2021. Yeah. Yeah. There's yes. there's some talk about the expiration of the emergency order, which was 20-002 and emergency order 20-003. So right. let me let me turn it over to you. Okay, so one thing that's been with telehealth that's that everybody has said, oh, this is a great thing. And Sean and I agree, so don't get us wrong. We don't we don't find certain telehealth uh flexibilities to be terrible. We just find them to be um they need to be appropriate for the patient. So there's a couple of things and we pick on Florida because who goes to Florida? All we call them snowbirds, all the patients that, you know, live in New Jersey, New York and Connecticut, all the, you know, Northeastern areas, they tend to go down to Florida. Now, if you're on my side of the, the country, which is in California, then they sometimes will either stay in California or they go down to Arizona, et cetera. So there was a thing where when we had the sequestration, when we had everybody had to be quarantined and the, and once that was lifted, they basically said, we don't recommend that, you know, you travel or you go anywhere, especially compromised, immunocompromised people because of the spread of whatever COVID variant is out there. I hear ninjas coming. So it's like, okay, whatever it is that t this week, but I don't mean to be flip about it. It's just, a, it, it's to me. And now it's like the flu. It's just, we're always going to have a different variant. So anyway, let me move on from that. So one of the things was, um, can you see a physician? that's not in your, or can you see your own physician um, when you're not in the state where your physician resides? So if you are in, let's say New York, you live there, but you go down to Florida, can you see your out-of-state healthcare practitioner? Well, there was a time period, and I, I'm pretty sure it was, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, it was like mid-2020 when everybody just, they were, everybody was panicked, and they said, yeah, do it, do it, do it, and, you know, Medicare opened it up, states opened it up, and then after a year of it, this, you know, several states, especially, and I have to put it in there, some some red states, they were basically like, no, okay, this has been a year, now if you want to see your physician, they have to be 
um, licensed or registered in Florida or <clears throat> registered in that state. And you guys, this makes sense because we had doctors coming out of retirement you know, they were in retirement for three to four to five years saying, oh, I can see patients now anywhere from the privacy of my home. And the oversight or the just making sure that there wasn't a malpractice situation or the patient was getting good care was a problem. And so now, and this is what Sean was referring to, you know, in uh, July 2021, Florida said right on their website, the Florida Board of Medicine, it's that out-of-state healthcare practitioners are no longer authorized to perform telehealth services for patients in Florida unless they become licensed or registered in Florida. So they can't be any more clear than that, but we still get the questions. And we're now, you know, July 2022, and one of my last questions from a client was, hey, I have a patient that's on vacation in Florida and wants to see their provider, so that's still okay, right? And a year later, people just don't know because they're not looking for it. They're basically relying on us or relying on what they hear as appropriate or not appropriate. And you have to be careful with that. Um, let me let me just talk about California, then I'll switch it over to send it over to you, Sean, on something. So yeah. on California... Um, now we have the most, this is the most liberal state here. And as a conservative, it's really hard for me <laughs> some days to live here. Cause I'm like, what are you doing now? But you know what? It's like, okay, I, I, I'll deal. I'll, I'll just stay in my bubble. It's fine. Um, but in California, you would think that it's, you know, a free for all. Well, it kind of is the, the governor here kind of lets everything happen, but it also says, and this is right from the business and professions code now under the California Department of Managed Care. So it's not on everybody's thing. You saw Florida was, you know, or heard Florida was on the board of Florida Board of Medicine in California. It's on the business and professions code, California Department of Managed Care. So you have to find it. But it talks about telehealth. And we're not just going to talk about telehealth today, but these are the main things. This one says, you know, Yes, you can have it, and health plans shall provide the same amount of reimbursement. Let's talk about payment parity for a service rendered via telephone as they would a service rendered via video, provided the modality right. by which the service is rendered is medically appropriate for the enrollee. So here's the thing. A lot of, of the commercial plans are saying this isn't medically appropriate. You have a patient that is being seen by a neurologist or a rheumatologist Etc. And they're like, you can't do what you need to do over the phone versus video. And so they're following on this medically appropriate rule and saying, no, give us our money back. So um, reading the fine print and understanding, you know, not just medical necessity, but medical appropriateness. I don't think we ever really talk right. about that. And that's that's a well, really big deal. It is. You know, so I, I tell folks all the time, there's three terms, right, that you have to acknowledge and that you have to ensure you're satisfying, right? And the three terms are reasonableness, appropriateness, and necessity. Those are the three key terms, right? So, you know, the, the, the question on whether it's appropriate or not and again, we're, we're talking about words that are highly subjective. But is it appropriate to render a service for a patient via audio only when what you're trying to achieve requires the video aspect of it for observation? I think that's the direction you were going, right, with reading the fine print on these things? Correct. 
Yeah. So, you know, something came up uh, last week, Terry. I think it was either Thursday or Friday. And there was some information that was put out regarding um, telehealth services. And it was, it, it, it was a bit questionable. And it required a clarification. Do you want to kind of walk through what that that information and that clarification was? So talking about the place of service, yeah. So right, everybody knows that CPT was updated this year. And when they updated their information on place of service, they talked about place of service 2 and 10. And when they talk about these, Basically, what they were saying is that now we are going to revise these places of service so it's more appropriate. Because two used to be just the telehealth uh, place of service before COVID. And that was only added in 2017. Well, during COVID, we've actually learned a lot when it comes to telehealth. You know, what's needed, what's out there, how it works. And if you're going to expand it beyond the limited originating site and distance site that we used to have, um, there has to be some clarifications on where the patient is. Are they actually in their home or are they actually out, outside their home? So the 10 basically says patient, the place of service 10 says patients in their home. The O2 says a patient isn't in their home, but we're still trying to get clarification. Does that mean they're, they don't have internet? So they're sitting at the side of the road near a Starbucks. I mean, what, what is it that they're actually doing? So we're still trying to get clarification, but here's what happened. So when these came out and they were effective January 1st, um, 2022, uh, and the CPT assistant also weighed in on it. It said these place of service codes were, and I'm air quoting like Sean does, available to Medicare. It didn't say mandated by, to Medicare after April, April. So that to me looked like AMA was making an assumption the PHE might have been ended. So what happened though is that, and I got a lot of feedback too. I, I saw some legal minds that I respect writing up these articles. I saw, you know, other consultants writing up these articles saying, this is what you're supposed to use now. And I'm like, wait, 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 we're still under a public health emergency people. And I think some people forget, I mean, we're into year three now and they're like, oh yeah. Cause there's, you know, you walk around outside, you go to restaurants. Now you see go, people go to ballparks. I'm not seeing a mask anywhere, maybe less than 1% of people wearing them. You know, we're kind of over the whole vaccine and double, triple, quadruple boosted thing. You know, I mean, I'm not saying people aren't doing it. I'm just saying it's not, we're not at the height of the pandemic anymore. We're kind of living with it. And so people forget that we're still under the public health emergency, at least for another week, which we anticipate they're probably going to extend. We're not sure why, but one of the yeah, things that, I mean, they are. There's no yeah, doubt. yeah. One thing that happened is that the people that were, um, po- or billing without knowing their rules that during the public health emergency, Medicare said not only in a stakeholder call, which they record those and put them on as a podcast, but also in a memorandum, they said, we do are not interested in these places of service till after the PHE ends. And they were clear. They've been clear about this for the last six months. Well, Anybody who's used the place of service 10, they, they are now finding that's a 20% reduction because the, and this is where it gets tricky. The place of services um, that are new, they are valid and Medicare will consider them, but they won't pay you the same under the PHE because you're using them. And they said, don't. So this is where, or they said, if you do, this is what happens. So this is where I think 
people forget to, and they, they hear noise. Remember that noise we're talking about? Well, I heard and, yep. and Sean, oh my gosh. Okay. This is a good one. How many times have you gone to a practice and I bet it's a million and you, and you're asking questions on why they're doing something, why a procedure is done a certain way. And they said either that's the way we've always done it or because well, that's what they told me to do. And you're like, who's they, <laughs> and you never yeah. get an answer on who they is. They're like, well, you know, yeah. and I'm like, no, I don't know <laughs> who's they. So do you get that? Uh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> you know, I'll ask a question, you know, and I try to be really diplomatic about it because so many times I want to be like, just, I don't know. I'm trying to be nice. Um, It, it just drives me insane. You know, when somebody says to me, well, this is how we've always done it. Well, why are we following, why? you know, like sheep? You know, why are we not going and looking at what the regulations are and trying to figure out if what we did five years ago is what we should still be doing today? Right. Because odds are the guidelines have changed. The requirements have changed. The I, had an orthopedic, have changed. I had an orthopedic practice that told me they've always done something one way, and that was they were doing uh, stimulus injections and not charging for the um, the medication. I'm like, Why? They said, well, we were told, and I'm like, okay, by who? Um, and they all looked at each other like, well, we don't remember. They were told that the injection procedural code includes the medicine. And, I, and after I face-planted <laughs> and saw that they lost <laughs> over $800,000 in a five-year period, I'm like, you guys, anything that you spend money on extra <laughs> like that, you get to charge for. That's not like head paper in an exam room. And they're like, we do? And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I mean, talk about jumping the gun on what they told us to do. And, I mean, that's yeah. one of the most blatant ones I, I've heard. But, I mean, this is why we, we kind of labeled this, don't jump the gun until you do due, due diligence, because this is a, right. a really big deal, a really big deal. One of the things that Sean and I have been talking about, the new splitter shared visits. Now, Yes. We thought, and we're not trying to be condescending to anybody, just so you know, if you guys are like, oh, shoot, that was me. And, you know, you think we're, we're labeling you or thinking, you know, you're, you're, you know, not, not smart or anything. We're not saying that. We're saying that, you know, hopefully we're shaking you right now and saying, look, this is costing your practice money. This is costing you your credibility. You need to wake up and go, oh, okay, okay, I'm, I'm alert now. I get what you're saying, and I will absolutely make sure that I verify and understand what's going on. So Sean and I have been talking about split or share visits this year because there's still some confusion there. And there's a modifier, F is in Frank, S is in Sam, so FS. And it was, well, at least it was clear to us in the rules that, Whoever is the billing provider, so whoever had the substantial, uh, substantiated uh, information, so um, substantive visit, I should say, uh, more of the documentation and more of the um, the elements that go into creating an encounter, or had greater than 50% of the time, the billing provider has to put the FS. Well, Sean and I have been That's seeing right. that people are only putting it on for the mid-levels, the NPPs. No, it's for either the MD or the NPP. So I have a practice that basically did that. And they came back and they said, hey, we started using this, but only on our mid-levels. And now they're questioning us. I'm like, why are you doing that? Well, that's what we read. And I said, okay, tell me what you read so I can see if it was incorrect. They only read the headline. They did not read the details of the rule. So 
this is where, and, and again, that rule is now, de- you know, delayed for another year. You're not going to, we were going to use uh, time as of 2023. Well, now right. they said they still want to see this substantive portion. Uh, we found that in the fee schedule, but Sean, I, I'm trying yep. to, and again, we love our listeners. We love you guys. And that's why we're here. Not, not just to educate or, you know, to tell you anything, but to talk to you about what we're seeing in the industry, because we want to be your authoritative resource so that you can hear like, oh my gosh, that, that can't happen here. And we want to give you that heads up so that you don't fall into this trap of, possibly costing not just reimbursement for your physicians, but the headache of having to deal with an audit or having to deal with refunds or for you personally, I know there's a lot of you out there that sit and I know you come to me, you come to Sean and say, I want to be a consultant. I want to do what you guys do. We get that all the time. If you want to Mm -hmm. get to that level, if you want to get to the level of being that authoritative resource of being somebody that, and we hope, I mean, obviously you're listening. So you trust us having that, you know, level of trust Please don't just clickbait. Don't just read headlines. Read not only the detail and then a perfect example. Sean and I will read something and we'll think it's from an authoritative source. And Sean will send it to me going, does this look right? And I'll send it to him going, Sean, this can you do the smell test on this for me? Because this is what somebody put out and I'm not reading it this way. And so there's interpretive things as well. And I know with the um, with the place of service, you and I both were talking back and forth on that because there was, you know, a misconception on there. Yeah, you know, I want to say something. I want to go back to something that you were saying just a moment ago. You know, this is this is, and nobody should ever take it as Terry and Terry and or I being condescending or we're being, you know, snide in any way. That's not what it is. But at the end of the day, you got to put feelings aside, right? In, in business, it you can't be emotional. You're hired by your healthcare organization, by your physician, if you're in solo practice, to do a job. And to do the job correctly, not to guess at it, not to create financial liability or risk, you know, for the organization, you know, from an auditing or clawback standpoint. So if you make a mistake, you got to own it, you got to fix it, and you got to move forward. What our job, from my perspective, of why we do these you know, hashtag Terry Tuesday segments and why I do the compliance guy overall is because we spend so much time reading, disseminating, and trying to wade through the BS, if you will, to try to streamline information so that we can provide it to all of you because we know how hard it is to find enough time each and every single day to be able to read everything that you need to read, to be able to sort through, you know, fact versus, you know, fiction. Exactly. So if, if something we're saying sounds like we're a little irritated or if it sounds a little like, <laughs> wow, you guys are, yes, we are kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, just look, it's it, it's time to put feelings aside and it's time to realize that we get a paycheck because we're hired to do a specific job. We're professionals, all of us. So again, this split shared service thing has been nothing short of a nightmare, just the same way as standard incident to services are. 
And again, everybody's been bracing for and preparing for the time aspect to be the controlling factor in 2023 for the split shared services. Folks, if you're not aware of it, you are now. It is delayed for a year. And you know why? Because it's in the final rule. It's in it's in the, not the final rule, but in the fee schedule, the, the proposed fee schedule changes that were released. So again, it comes down to making sure that you are aware as to who provided the substantive portion of the history exam and medical decision-making. Right. And it's, it's, it can't be billed under the physician. If all the physician did was say, I have reviewed the plan of care and agree with above. That right. is not a substantive portion to bill it under the physician. But remember, you have to use the modifier for whoever bills it out. It's not just a nurse practitioner PA modifier that it would go on for the physician. Medicare is trying to track these. Medicare feels that, and I know why they put it out there, they feel that these services should be um, basically played less. They think that the mid-level providers are doing more of the work. But, you know, Sean brought up something interesting, and he said, you know, you can't be sensitive. You, you know, in business, you have to really understand. And I know everybody's overly sensitive to everything nowadays. You have to be politically correct. But here, here's something that falls on those lines and, and kind of what we're talking about. I'm, I do a lot of auditing. I probably audit oh, at least 1,200 records a month. So I, I, I do a lot of auditing. And one of the things I've started to see, and it's actually making a difference in patient care, are common phrases. So things like presenting complaint or the patient denies. And remember, patients now under the um, the Cures Act have access to their records on a limited basis, but they do have access. And one patient, I remember saying, I did not deny anything. I said I didn't feel them. That's completely different. So the language now is being questioned. I had another one that said, um, you know, patient not tolerating um, oxygen mask versus refuses oxygen mask. So physicians have to be neutral in their terms. Otherwise, not only could it be negative attitude towards the patient, but it could affect prescribing pain medications if it means that they're denying something that is actually against medical advice versus not tolerating something. So and, and the reason I bring this up is that we have to weed through everything. And this is now we're weeding through languages. We're weeding through intent of the rules. And so as, you know, healthcare professionals that we all feel you are, and that's why you're on the call, we want you to do the same. If, and, and one of the things that Sean and I are very heavy on social media, because that's how we get our podcasts out. You know, I, I deal with this on my CodeCast podcast as well. But we find that there's a lot of forwarding information without verifying the information. And not everyone is an yeah. authoritative source. And it's your reputation. Yeah. It's really hard to unring a bell once you put it out there, even if you're like, oh, I deleted it. Well, somebody either screenshotted it, kept it, or it's they have it in their back pocket for later on. I mean, I, Sean, you've got to see that all the time. You're like, what did they just post? Yeah. That's that's a great point. Let's Let's talk about that for just a minute. One, you know, I have people say to me all the time, well, I, I deleted it. Okay, but you have to understand, when you delete something from the internet, it still leaves a digital footprint. It will always be there. 
somebody can unearth it, they can unarchive it, whatever the proper term is, is unarchiving a real word. It Maybe, is. I guess. I my favorite is when okay. they say, I didn't sign it. I just sent it out through my email. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Here, here's the thing. And, and, and take this as somebody who has learned um, by trial, trial by fire, right? Um, I have engaged with more physicians than. I can remember, okay, and more hospital administrators, more practice managers, office managers, whatever the terms are, leaders of medical practices, clinicians. If you provide guidance to a clinician and they adopt that guidance and they begin to use it and you come back to them a week later, a month later, six months later, a year later, and you audit them and you're like, oh, the way you're doing it is incorrect. It, it, that's that's not what it, and they're going to bring up something that says, hey, you sent me this email. Oh yeah, well, there was a, 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 a correction on that. And, you know, to Terry's point, I, I jumped the gun. Folks, that is the fastest way to lose credibility with your providers. Well, These the partner will say to somebody else, go check. These are extremely busy individuals taking care of patients. You know, they, they don't have the time, nor do they have the, the desire to try to figure out, is the information Sean gave me accurate? That's what they hired you for. That's the point that right. I was trying to make before. You are, you are one of the critical components in the overall care of patients. You are that bridge between what transpires in the room and how we communicate that to an insurance company for remuneration. If there is a glitch in that process, the provider is not going to accept that as their fault. They're going to say, Terry Fletcher is the one who provided me this information. Right. You got to be aware of this that's the whole point of what we're trying to get across today and, and i know again, i know there's some i know there's yeah. some um unrealistic expectations by providers i think a lot of physicians feel that staff should be have the same um medical knowledge that they do you know you know especially in certain specialties like no you, you need to help educate and and explain so we do put some on the physicians as well but you have a very strong voice as a biller, coder, compliance officer, you know, billing manager, wherever you fit in the revenue cycle management stream as a healthcare professional in compliance, you have a very strong voice and your providers are really counting on you. So we, you know, and we're going to kind of wrap this up with one last thing. And this actually falls again yep. in jumping the gun. And this is about the Medicare physician fee schedule. So one of the things that everybody's probably seen, you know, already we're seeing that everybody's like, what? We're going to get such a, a decrease. It's a little over 4%. You know, our, our conversion factor is going down from 3460 to 3308. It's, it's, it's really a mess. I've had doctors, you know, yelling, saying, you know, I, I took the advanced uh, accelerated Medicare payments against my advice. And so now they're taking almost 50% of my check. 
the sequestration from the 2011 budget, you know, balanced budget act that started in 2013, the 2% started up again, July 1st, you know, um, provide a relief funding. If you didn't report it right, you're having to pay back some of that. We have the $1.9 trillion, you know, American rescue plan from this administration. And then where are they going to get the money? 4% comes from what they call pay as you go. That's going to hit Medicare 2023. Yeah. It's almost like we're going to end up paying Medicare to, to do business, but here's, here's the thing. We're not talking about just the, the, um, the lowering, what we're talking about is you have a voice, not just in bringing information to your providers, but you are considered a stakeholder. I don't know if you realize that, not just patients, not just physicians, not just mid-levels, but as healthcare professionals, you're a stakeholder. And there is a 60-day comment period on the proposed medical Medicare fee schedule. And MedPAC, so the commission that tells Medicare, if they should raise or not raise their rates, said no physician payment increase. But um, Medicare Advantage plans, hospitals, ASCs, they're all getting bumped. So physicians with increased inflation, staffing shortages, cost to do business, all of that, they're not getting a pay increase. And then there's some three-year expiration thing about, you know, um, something about Medicare safety thing, uh, saving patients from not having that increase. But this is going to affect your physicians. So Take that 60-day comment period and embrace it and comment. Talk to your doctors about it. And, Sean, you know, I'll I'll let you kind of finish up with that. It's something that I feel like nobody comments, but they complain. Well, I think there's a couple things. One, I think there's a lack of knowledge and understanding as to the fact that there is an open comment period and that anyone, can opine on it. Anyone can comment on it. Because to your point, every single one of us are stakeholders. And if you don't think that your comments are reviewed, they are. They're taken into consideration. I've actually seen my name pop up a couple of times over the years. It's probably been <clears throat> five or six years since the last time I've I've seen my name pop up on yeah. you know something that CMS put out, you know, where they said you know, here are some of the comments by stakeholders in the industry with regard to whatever the topic was. Right, sure, it was, I was on a final you know, one of the last up. Yeah, right. I'm sure it was one of the updates to the incident too, where I was just mind boggled over some of the nonsense that was going on. But, anyways, you know, to Terry's point, folks, look, you know, you got to engage, you got to get your providers to engage, and you got to get your specialty societies to advocate on behalf of your organizations use these comment periods to be able to push back against what it is that medicare is going to do because remember in order for something to go from subregulatory guidance document to regulation it has to go through an an open comment period for 60 days and once it goes through that 60 day period that becomes the final rule. That right. becomes a regulation. It is no longer a sub-regulatory guidance document. So be aware of these things. If you're not happy with what something is being proposed as, use the open comment period, that 60-day comment period, to state your concerns. Don't just put something out there that says this is a bunch of crap and 
don't do it. Right. You, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta put a little bit more you into yeah. it than this is crap. Um, and but if you're confused, you know, day, write, have your doctors yeah. write something up and send it to to like MGMA. Have them send it to their specialty right. society because that's your lobbying voice right. as well. That's right. That's right. So at the end of the day, the power is in our hands. Even though you think you don't have power as a single voice, when you bring a million voices together to push back against something, that's when they listen. That's when the power of numbers comes into play. All right. So this is going to bring us to the end of our hashtag Terry Tuesday on the compliance guy. As always, I want to thank my very good friend, Terry Fletcher, for hanging out with me for a little while. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. And to each and every single one of y'all, thank y'all so much for tuning in and logging on and just hanging out with Terry and I for a little bit each and every single Tuesday. It means so much to us. And remember, until tomorrow, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy. <laughs>